It's Not Loungewear. And uh, I was super excited about the naming of that uh, series because oftentimes we just go through life as followers of Jesus and it just feels like we have all these things accessible to us, gifts, spiritual gifts that he's given us, a fruit of the spirit that he's allowed us to participate in, and this armor of God that helps us get through life. And life just happens. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. You know, uh, if you've just been around for a little while, that uh, life happens. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning, we've been going through each one of the pieces of armor uh, each week, and what I what we do each week is we read the section of scripture, and uh, and then we uh, kind of sit on that on that uh, armor. And what's been a little bit different about this series, as you've noticed, is that because there's just a mention of the armor, then we kind of bounce around scripture. We typically don't do that so much where we're bringing in verses from all over. But in this case, we're covering these different topics like faith and righteousness, and the gospel, and this morning we're talking about salvation, and so we kind of, we do bounce around a little bit, and this morning we'll spend most of our time in Romans and Philippians, but let's read the text real quick. It starts in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against our boss. It's not against Congress. It's not against, you know, all these different things we were. It's not against the economy. That's not our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, okay? But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And if you haven't, uh, if you're not caught up on the series, you can go back online. You can go on our app, the Living Spring app. You can find it on, on whatever platform you're on. If you're on a, you know, like a normal platform like iPhone, you can find it. And then the other second tier platforms you can find it as well but um but i'm just playing around so uh but the belt of truth we talked about the belt of truth the idea that if we don't start with truth if we don't ground ourselves in truth we're just going to be tripping over ourselves it doesn't do any good to have armor if your pants are down and you can't you know you're running around just falling all over yourself so you got to start with truth and then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness in place and we talked about the idea that oftentimes we'll be tempted because righteousness and doing the right thing is often uncomfortable and it's hot outside and nobody else has their breastplate on and why do i have to have it on nothing's going to happen nothing happened forever, whatever, and you just want that temptation to just take it off for a second. We talked about that. Uh, Pastor Michelle crushed it with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. She talked about the gospel of peace. And then uh, I talked about, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And what we talked about was that there's three pieces of armor you always have on, and that is your feet shod with the go uh, gospel of peace. You have your belt of truth that's always on, and you have your breastplate of righteousness that's always on. And then there's three pieces of armor that we take up. And I talked about taking up the shield of faith. 
And the idea that the shield of faith is not a defensive piece of armor. It defends us or protects us as we're moving forward. It's offensive. Okay? And so we talked about that. And then uh, um, this morning, we're going to talk about taking up the helmet of salvation. And I'll talk about this helmet in just a little bit. But uh, that's kind of your little visual uh, cue for the helmet of salvation. There's all sorts of kind of different helmets, right? And uh, football season is starting up uh, in just a couple weeks. And just as a side note, uh, I'm taking an 18-week sabbatical. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm not doing that. Okay, right? So uh, I, I record it all. So anyway, so, uh, so you might see a helmet like this, right? And so every helmet, we all know this. This isn't uh, theological or I didn't spend much time researching it. Every helmet's to protect the what? Head, right? To protect the brain. Because without a brain, <clears throat> you run for Congress. No, I'm kidding. I just, uh, that's just a dumb joke. But, right? So, so it's to protect the brain. So we have, we have this kind of helmet. My son and my son-in-law and my daughter, they love to ride their bikes, right? And so every time they get on their bike, they have this helmet. Uh, that's for a bike rider. This is if, uh, you know, if you're in construction, you wear a construction helmet. If you, if you have a helmet like this, then you're entitled to share the lane with me, apparently, but I guess you can. So, um, I'm kidding. I know we have lots of people who, who ride bikes. So uh, we have that. If you wear this helmet, right, you're in the military. And so, so what we see with these different helmets and everything is every single one of them protects the brain, right? Every single one of them does that. But the helmet really becomes not only your protection, but your identity. If I have a football helmet, I'm not riding my bike. I have a bike helmet for that. If I have a bike helmet, I'm not going into battle. <laughs> That's what that, that helmet's for. And so Paul, when Paul says to take up the helmet of salvation, what I'm hoping you'll walk away with this morning is not only is salvation your protection, but it's also your identity. If you look at this helmet, this is a, uh, a replica of the Roman helmet that Paul would have been talking about. And uh, it would have been pretty close to this, although I don't know if they would have had it on such a cool stand. But, um, but the cool thing about this helmet is uh, it, it has a bunch of different things. You can't really see it, but on the back, it has a little fin that comes out to protect you from being struck from behind. It has this ridge here and this ridge so that when a broadsword came down, it had extra protect protection, almost like a bumper kind of. But this identified what your rank was in the military. And so when the battle would come and you had a, uh, an officer that was your, your commanding officer, you would look, let's say they were wearing the red, you would look and look to your commanding officer and go, okay, what's, what's, that, what's he doing? That's what I'm going to do. Because this identified them. And so some, some uh, Roman soldiers' helmets didn't have this on top of it. It had some other thing for protection and and all those things. But this is really their identity. And so when we talk about salvation, oftentimes there's just a lot of miscommunication and what does it mean to be saved? And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about this. And it might make you a little bit uncomfortable, uh, some of the things that I have to say. But that's good because theology should be uncomfortable. It shouldn't just be able to, like, so easy to figure out. It, God's uncomfortable, right? 
So I'm just going to look at some different um, ideas of salvation that are found in Scripture, and then um, I'm going to tell you a little story, and then we'll, we'll look at a couple, a, a couple things. Uh, one of the things Paul says is, he's, Paul says, I'm not, afraid of the, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, Pastor Michelle talked last week about the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. So in this, we learn that, okay, everyone can be saved. Okay, well, that's good to know. Who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile? Romans 13, 11 says it this way. And do this, understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation, wait a minute, is nearer now than when we first believed. Well, I thought when I first believed, I was saved, right? If I were to ask you, do you remember when you were saved? You might say, oh, I remember when I raised my hand. I remember when I came forward. I remember. But well, then how could my salvation be nearer now than when I first? Oh, he must be talking about heaven. Okay, so salvation is a future thing. I believe now for a future salvation. Well, what is it? 1 Peter 2.2 2 says it this way. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may... Grow up in your salvation. Okay, so I was saved when I raised my hand or did whatever. I'm growing up in my salvation, and my salvation is nearer than when I first believed. Well, you could also mess up your salvation. Look at Acts 15, 11. Certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching believers hope of salvation. Okay, so is it I was saved, I'm... I'm working on being saved, and I will be saved. Yes, yes, yes. Salvation is not only for protection, but it's our identity from the time we're saved to the time we spend eternity with Jesus. So what is salvation? Last week when Pastor Michelle was uh, talking to the uh, uh, talking to you guys, Lisa and I were talking to the little kids. Let me tell you something. Do not be afraid of volunteering for children's ministry. It is so much fun. If I didn't have to preach, that would be the next thing I'd do. These kids are amazing. They're awesome. They're so much better than adults. Anyway, uh, but they are so cool. So we're, we're teaching the little kids. Now, imagine this. I go and I, 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 I talk to a group of first graders. Now, I, I teach a class called Wesleyan Theology for our denomination, and we go over the theology of salvation, and I tell this story all the time uh, to the young, the pastors growing up as we talk about what does it mean to be saved. And I've never done this in the congregation, so you can send uh, your letters to me, your emails, that's fine. It's just Michelle at Living Spring. Um, so let's say I'm teaching first graders, okay, and I got 20 of them in the class. And I say, hey, you guys, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about sin, okay? Uh, how many of you have, have lied before? You know, maybe 11 of them come up. You know, the boys all raise their hand, right? All right so they, they raise their hand. How many of you disobeyed your mom and dad? Okay, yeah, right, I've done it. How many of you, when your parents told you not to eat a little cookie or to, you, okay, great. How many of you took the broccoli and, and dumped it into your milk as though you're parents wouldn't know when they jumped. Anyway, how many have done that? All, the, all these different things, right? So my goal is to get them all to raise their hand that they're all sinners, right? That's my goal. You got to tell you got to get convince them they're sinners. So you convince them they're sinners, right? 
All of them, sinners. So then you say, hey, let me just tell you something. God, God can't have sin in his presence. So if you were to die tomorrow, he's going to light you on fire. And there's nothing you can do about it. Once he lights you on fire, you're on fire. Every day you cry out to your mom, mommy, mom. she can't hear you. It's dark. It's just wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you're on fire. And, and, and there's nothing you can do. And so and you're going to spend all of eternity doing that. Uh, now, I've got some good news. If you accept Jesus into your heart today, you won't be lit on fire for all of eternity. Who wants to accept Jesus? <laughs> right? right. Thank, thank you, Anthony. <laughs> Anthony, yes. The guy doing the lyrics wants to accept Jesus. That's great. Right? Right. Okay. Now listen. Isn't that an uncomfortable... I don't know about you, but every time I say that story, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Right? Now, th now the next week, I come up here and I go, hey, you guys, I taught, I taught first graders. We had 20 kids. Every kid in there accepted Jesus yesterday. Can we give the Lord a clap offering, right? Everyone, oh, oh, my goodness, this is great. Were they saved? Wow, you guys are like hardcore. No, they're still being lit on fire. <laughs> no, I've met a first grader, right? No. Right. Well, I, I don't know. That's what I want to talk about this morning. What, what, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to raise your hand? What does it mean to say, Lord, would you come into my heart? What, what I describe makes people uncomfortable because why would you say that to a little kid? But if you stretch that out, for some of us, that's our theology. That's what we try to explain to people. Now, before we, you send me any emails or you walk up and get, get up and get out of here. Do I believe in hell? I absolutely do. I believe in heaven. I believe in angels. I believe in miracles. I believe in demons. I believe in Satan. I believe in all that kind of stuff. But what I want to talk about this morning is what does it mean to be saved? What is this helmet for? How is salvation going to protect me? Okay? So we're going to go through just a few things about salvation. I want to expand your mind. Because it is so much more than getting out of hell. Okay? Salvation just means deliverance. That's what it means. So are you delivered from hell? Yes, that's a, that's a part of salvation. I mean, it's an important part, right? Okay? But it's a part. But here's the thing that the Bible tells us. Salvation without discipleship is foreign to Scripture. This decision, I made a decision and that's it. That is completely foreign to scripture. That's, that's where we talk about transactional versus transformational uh, salvation. Transactional is what I just did with the first graders. By the way, I didn't, I didn't do that just to be clear. It's a, it's a fictitious story. It's okay. You have sin. You're going to hell except Jesus there's your ticket. You made it. That is transactional. Transformational is, is follow me. Transformational is I can't do this on my own anymore. I can't be my own God. I can't go through this. I'm having difficulty with my relationships. I'm having difficulty managing myself. 
I need a savior. I need to be delivered from me. I need to be delivered from culture. I need to be delivered from my flesh and my mistakes and my failures and my messed up self. I need a savior from that. That's follow me. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and goes, hey, well, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? He goes, oh, just sell, sell everything you have and follow me. Like, uh, he wanted a transaction. What do I need to do? Give me $2,000 and you'll have the kingdom. No, it doesn't work that way. It costs you your life. It costs you everything. It's not a transaction. It's a transformation. That's what protects me. That's why it's the helmet of salvation. So let's keep going. Now I'm starting to preach. All right. So the question is, are you being saved from something or being saved to something? Well, I'm being saved from hell. Okay, then what? You just sit around and wait to die? So you don't go to hell? That's horrible. That's not transformational. That's not the life. Jesus lived his life as an example for us. That isn't the example he lived. He lived a life that was vibrant. It, it says in, in Hebrews that he was anointed with the oil of joy. It says he would wake up in the morning, be with his heavenly father. Sometimes he would work until he, they would say that they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus, one time, they brought him food. And he goes, oh, man, I got food you don't even know about. It's to do my father's will. Man, that is salvation right there. That's salvation. All right, so what's necessary to be saved? And then we'll get into the scriptures. Well, there's three things that I think. There's much more. And again, the salvation, as we'll see, is so much more rich and complicated and nuanced than, we, 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 than just this idea of raising your hand. And we'll get to, I do think raising your hand is important, so we'll get to that. But the first thing you need is confession. You've you got you to gotta start with the thing of like, hey, I, I, I'm, it's not working for me. I, I can't live in my sin anymore. Like that, that sin is just missing the mark of what God, how God created you of everything. It's just living for yourself. If you look at all the things we call sin, it's basically just self-preservation, um, uh, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self, 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 self. And so we say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I confess to you. I'm wasting my life. I've confessed to you that I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my brothers and my sisters. I've sinned against, like, would you please forgive me? That is confession. That's a big part of it. And then belief is another one, or faith. is By grace, you've been saved through faith. And so there's a part of us that has to go, you know what, God, I don't know how it all works, but I believe that you have paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. So there's faith, but then there's this third part. That we never talk about submission. I'm saved for something, saved to something, not saved from something. Okay? Now, some of you will go, okay, John, well, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, you know, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that Christ raised from the dead, you will be saved. So there. Okay. Well, let's read that verse and let's read what comes after that verse. And we'll talk about that a little bit because that is part of salvation. You confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead. Here's what it says. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. 
That's the beginning part of salvation. Verse 10, right after that. For it is with your heart that you believe and are, and are justified, and is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. There we go. What's the big deal? It seems pretty easy. As a matter of fact, just three verses later, it's pretty clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there you go. It sounds transactional, doesn't it? Okay. Just trust me on this. You can check it out for yourself. We just don't have time. The next 40 verses after that, Paul is doing his best to describe in a very rich and thick and nuanced way what he means by that. And he talks about the different Jews and the different Gentiles. And hey, don't get, don't get cocky, Gentiles, just because you were grafted in to the vine. First of all, you're just a branch that was grafted in. If he cut off the branches that were there, he'll cut your branch off. And so you start reading these 40 verses and you're thinking, oh man, it sounds like it's not as nuanced as just confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. Like it seems, it seems richer than that. 40 Verses, he's trying to explain the richness of salvation. That it's not just a transaction. It's everything. It's growth. It's, it's gifts of the Spirit. It's all these different things. And then he ends with this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He he, he just says, he just starts with this thing. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has given to him that it should be given back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. It's like, he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're going to be saved. But let me just tell you guys, this is about, we're talking about God here. We're talking about this, this thing that's so beyond our comprehension. And then he ends with this, this almost last thing of just like, you guys, it's God we're talking about, man. It's like you don't have to do this anymore. You can be saved. You, you don't understand him. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways, it says. Like, man, he's amazing. It's incredible. That's salvation. This relationship with a God that we can't understand. And this idea that we can go through life empowered by him. That we don't have to be mired in our own mistakes. Our past is put behind us. So then he ends with that. So there you go. You got 45 verses of salvation. Go back and read it yourself and you go, well, what do I do with that? Well, fortunately, he goes on with a therefore. So in other words, he says, hey, man, he's probably writing this. He's like, I'm exhausted. But let me just give you the thing you're supposed to do. Now, the problem with this therefore is that you know this verse really well. And we just pull it out like it's cool. This is a cool verse. And it is. And you've probably all memorized it because I know, I know everybody in here and you're all very spiritual. But think about it from the context. You confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead. Everyone, can, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And let me just tell you the complexity of that salvation. And he does. And then he says, oh, the wisdom, right? And the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. He just goes on. I just love the next one where he just says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Like, I, it always cracks me up. People ask me, are you Arminian or are you Calvinist? Like, right? Like, there's two camps of salvation. Like, we've boiled God down to two dudes from the 1500s. And we've said, yeah, I understand salvation. It's, I'm Arminian. And the other one's like, I'm Calvinist. And God's like, you guys are stupid. <laughs> right? Two dudes. Calvin and Arminian, they're both up there. And they're like, ah, uh, I think we messed up. Okay? All right. Okay. So, verse 1. Therefore. In light of everything I just said for 45 verses, he takes a deep breath. <gasps> Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You are saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. God is eternal. It's way bigger than a transaction. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. It is your identity. Salvation becomes your identity. Ooh, I almost broke my own helmet. I was just going to sweep some stuff up real quick. Okay, there we go. I don't know. I don't know what's up with this. Thing. All right. This is what happens when you buy stuff on Amazon. Okay. Now, watch, it goes on. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. This is how your salvation is going to play out. Because it doesn't just stop with a decision. Do not, be, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That's the whole point of the salvation, okay? It protects your brain. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. There's a helmet that you have that is your identity. It's salvation. And don't let anything else get in there that you may be able to test and approve what, is the, Lord's, what the Lord's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. So this is how Paul describes salvation. It is rich. It is nuanced. From that first decision you made, I can't do this on my own anymore. You were saved. And now you're becoming saved and you will be saved. That's the eternal perspective of your heavenly father. You don't just raise your hand. All those first graders, oh yeah, they're good. You're good. It doesn't matter what you do in high school, college. Second wife, third wife, fourth wife. It's all good. You'll make it. As long as you make it. As long as you make it. Get out of jail free card. Get up there and they're like, hey, first grade, buddy. Open them up, right? Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Now, how does it work, okay? The section of scripture I'm going to use is kind of um, a little bit obscure until you get to the end, okay? So bear with me. Because my identity, once I confess my sin and I believe that Christ truly is has died for my sins, and he truly is Lord of my life, and I begin to take these steps of follow me. Again, it's transformational, okay? As I take those steps, my goal is to become more like Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's my identity. My identity is in Christ. I know I'm doing well the more I look like Jesus. The husband I am, 
How would Jesus be a husband? The wife you are, the, how would Jesus be a wife? The, the child, the grandpa, whatever it is, right? So we go to Philippians for that. I said we just jump around between Romans and Philippians. So we'll end on, on Philippians here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 23. Do, not, do nothing from selfishness, okay? In other words, you were saved from yourself. That's what salvation is. You don't have to be your own God. You don't have to worry about your own self. You don't have to, it's not about your rights or who's in office or all these things because all those things change. Your identity, if it is not rooted in Christ, it's going to be a long life for you because culture's always shifting and you're always shifting, right? My identity in high school was I was an athlete. Okay, spoiler alert, <laughs> those days are over. Okay, I can't even shower, okay, without groaning, okay, I can't even like, I just go to reach for the, ah, okay, right, those days are over, your identity might be in that you're really smart, you, you, you might have started a business, and for 40, 50 years, you've had 60 employees, and your business has funded their whole families, and now you're in your 80s, and they're like, Grandpa, you can't even text, you're dumb, and you're like, you do you know I, I ran a business? For, like, like, it all changes. It always changes. Your body, and your, you might be beautiful. And you still will be beautiful on the inside. But <laughs> it goes away. Okay? It goes away. All right? If your identity is not rooted in Christ, which never changes... We're only set up for disaster. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of what? Mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That is so freeing. I'm just telling you right now. When you regard one another as more important than yourself, you are free. This is freedom God is calling us to. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. In other words, bathe, please. But also the interests of others. In your relationships with another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. That is what salvation produces. This different mindset, a different perspective. We are saved. We are becoming saved as we are sanctified and we will be saved. And listen to what happens. Mindset of Jesus Christ. Who, be, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he didn't cheat the system. He just came as a human and said, it can be done. Okay? Remember, remember how Satan tried to tempt him? Satan tried to tempt him like, hey man, everything the world offers can be yours. And Jesus is like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. I have a taste of, any, of the eternal, and I'm going to live in it while I'm here. He calls us to do the same thing. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Listen what it says. By becoming obedient. That, you guys, that's salvation. That's salvation. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the writer didn't think you'd get it or I'd get it. 
He didn't just stop there. Oh, his ways are higher than your ways. And uh, I mean, uh, yeah, and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the writer goes, no, 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 no. No, dude, you don't even, as high as the heavens are from the earth, that's how much higher his thoughts are and his ways are. And if you would adopt them, if you would become obedient, salvation. You're saved from yourself. You're saved from having to figure out what does culture want from me. You're saved from trying to figure out how do I stay current? How do I do that? No, no, no. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here we go. Continue to work out your salvation. This is an ongoing process. It starts with a decision. And those decisions are great. And as I mentioned before, I'm not saying, I'm not mocking those decisions. I'm not saying we don't have those decisions. I have prayed probably a hundred times here that very prayer of making a decision to follow Jesus. But what I'm calling you to is to become more like him. What I'm calling you to is to say, you know what? I'm done with my sin. I'm done with trying to toe the line. I'm, I'm done trying to add Jesus as a, as a sprinkling in my life. No, no, no. I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. My identity is my salvation. It's who I am. This section of scripture here, the Greek words is, continue to work out your salvation with phobias and tremors. You say, should I be scared that I'm going to lose my salvation? Is that what it says? That's not what it's saying. But there's a part of the gravity of following Jesus in here. The way I look at it, as the worship band comes back up, so... When I got married, I won the lottery. I won the marriage lottery. And uh, all these types of conversations make Lisa feel uncomfortable, but I am a man of the cloth, and I have the right to say whatever I want. So I won, I won the marriage lottery, okay? During our wedding day, when I made the decision to marry her, and I said, I marry you, I was married, but I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea about anything about marriage. I didn't realize how that was that hard. I thought it was just, I mean, for lack of a better, are the kids gone? <laughs> anyway, so I, I, just, I just thought, you know, hey, this is cool. We were friends. We dated in high school. Like, we were friends. And, like, she's cool. I'm cool. Like, let's just be cool, right? Uh, you know? And that was it. And then... As that relationship began to deepen and deepen and deepen and deepen, I started getting a sense of like, I don't want to mess this up. I do not want to mess this up. And I began to set boundaries and I began to talk to people and I began to get accountability on. I began to be like, I gotta protect this thing. I won the lottery. It's like if you won the lottery, right? If I won, if I had a scratcher or whatever, I don't play the lottery, but if I did, because the Lord knows I'd win and I'd ruin me. But but like if I had the ticket 
and it was like eight o'clock at night and I couldn't turn it in. I would just, I wouldn't sleep. I'd put it in a plastic bag and I'd bury it. And then I'd be like, I can't bury it. But, you know, I, I gotta, what, I'll put it in the freezer. What if it gets moist? And then it'd be like, ah, I'm running around with my lottery ticket. Work out your salvation with phobias and tremors. I don't want to miss anything from Jesus. I don't want to miss this. Yes, you spend eternity with him. But why not start now? Why not be excited to see the Lord that you're following every day and go, you mean I get to do this forever? Come on, son. Are you kidding me? I get to spend eternity with him? That is salvation. That's what protects my mind. That's my identity. The very thing I said you know, you got those first graders, and you go in, you lead them through this prayer, and like, are they saved or are they not? I'm going to lead us through that very prayer. Because whether that is or not, for some of those kids, that's the beginning of their journey. And they'll look back on that day. They'll go, when I was in the first grade, I remember I confessed with my mouth, and I believed with my heart, and ever since then, it's just been a journey of sanctification. I was saved, I'm being saved, I'm going to be saved. I get it. I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to just lead us in this prayer. And, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do any of that. I'm just going to lead us in this prayer. And I don't know about you, I have prayed this prayer for myself personally probably 50 times. Because the prayer of being saved is the same prayer of becoming saved is the same prayer, right, of, of future salvation. It goes like this. And you can follow with me. You can say it out loud. You can say it to you in your mind or whatever. This prayer is not a transaction. It's a beginning of following him. When I pray this prayer, I just say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I messed up. I don't want to be defined by my past. I want that atoned for. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for showing me the way. Jesus, from this day forward, I want to be a follower of you. I want to do what you do. I want to say what you say. To be who you are. Lord, would you be my king? Would you be my Lord? In your precious name, amen. For some of you, you might have prayed that prayer before, but today is the day you go, you know what? This is it for me now. This is it for me. There's no salvation without discipleship. There's no salvation without sanctification. It's far into the scripture. So if you prayed that, one of the nice things about a church our size, just email me, john at livingspring.com. If you're watching online, you can do the same. We'll get you set up to see what your next steps are because those steps are so important being set free. We're going to take a little bit of time and end with uh, this final song. And we have some pillows up here for some of you. Uh, you might want to come and kneel. I, I love to, when I'm 
done preaching to just kind of come and kneel down and just kind of recenter uh, my week and uh, get ready for tomorrow. And so you might want to do the same thing to come forward and pray. There'll be some people by the cross here that can pray for you specifically. If you have something that's on your heart, you would just like someone to pray for you. You can do that too. And then uh, when we're done, I'll come back up and bless you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that anyone, anyone, despite our past, despite where we've been, what we've done, what our 20s and 30s and 40s look like, we can come to you and say, God, would you rescue me? Would you save me? And you say, yes. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you. See you next Sunday.